It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, wherever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. And today's show is also being brought to us in part by Holiday Inn Properties. You got it, man, the Holiday Inn Properties. You know, if you want to uh, stay at a Holiday Inn Express, you don't know, you're not a brain surgeon, but you did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Hey, get the Billy C. discount. That's right. All you got to do is call toll-free that's 844-603-0364 get a billy c discount if you like me and you can't remember phone numbers then don't worry about it just uh visit our website www.billycboxing.com and click on the uh holiday inn banner it's right there on the right hand side and today's show is being brought to us in part by my book Tom Molyneux, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now where you're watching or listening to this show. Just visit uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. If you're looking to get a signed copy, don't worry about it. We'll hook you right up. Just visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and click on the book. That's all you got to do. Click on the book and... uh, We'll get you a signed copy. Now, if you're looking to get multiple copies, which is great. We love those uh, inquiries about uh, getting multiple copies. Just drop me an email, billy at talkingboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G uh, dot com. Um, excuse me. Uh, 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 no. <laughs> I uh, got a bunch of stuff to talk about now uh, today. First and foremost, uh, uh, my topic today, you know, I was saying, I've been saying for a long time, how the sanctioning bodies really have ruined the sport of boxing. Uh, It's not all them, because it's sort of like, it's sort of like uh, um, a weed on your lawn. You know, if you don't take it out, if you don't kill it, it's going to spread, right? Well, uh, that's what's happened in the sport of boxing. We have all these sanctioning bodies, and we could have killed them. We could have we could have uh, strangled them by not using them and by not giving them any any ground to stand on or putting any value behind them. But the greed factor, specifically with uh, 
promoters and networks, we've given them that lifeline. And the WBA is the worst of the worst. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Um, but uh, I also got some updates on uh, <laughs> Tyson Fury. Uh, we got some updates on uh, Ricardo Mayorga. Well, well, I don't know if that's an update or a down date. Um, Dana White uh, agreeing uh, with uh, what I think about Steven Espinosa. We'll talk about that. Um, and we got all the fight results. So let's kick off the show right now. Froist with the fight results. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Jared Hurd uh, became a unified uh, junior middleweight or super welterweight, however you want to look at it, champion over the weekend in what I thought was an extremely, extremely exciting fight. Yeah, well, you, what were you waiting? You were waiting for something other than that. It was an exciting fight. Uh, Ursulani Lara, uh, a quality fighter, um, actually... Uh, Listen, when I watched Jared Hurd, it reminded me of one fighter. He reminds me of one fighter. And you know what fighter popped in my head when I watch him? George Foreman. A young George Foreman. Now, I'm not putting him on the same level as a Hall of Fame uh, fighter like George Foreman. But his mannerisms, his approach to the game, his delivery of punches is the same as Big George used to be. Seek and destroy. Go ahead. Hit me. I don't care. You know, because I'm going to outlast you. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, and I'm conditioned very well. And a young George Foreman is exactly what Jared Hurd did this past weekend to Ursulandi Lara. Now, just for the record, I scored that fight 114 uh, 113 in favor of uh, Ursulandi Lara. And the reason I scored it in favor of Lara is because I thought that he landed uh, the better punches. And and a lot of the punches that were landed by Hurd were grazed or, or uh, missed him a little or, or uh, you know, he, he caught him with his gloves. I mean, um, if you watch the fight specifically, you know, a couple of times and, and watch the punches in slow-mo, um, you know, try and do frame by frame or something like that. And you'll see what I'm talking about. One other thing I noticed uh, about the fight was the lack of Ronaldo Moralo, Moralo Malulo, uh, Morelli Moralo. Uh, you know, the loud mouth yelling pain in the butt. Uh, that guy was not there. And how enjoyable was that fight? Watching the fight and listening to a, a class group of people for Showtime. Barry Tompkins, Al Bernstein, Paulie Malinaji. Listen, I'm not sure you're going to get a better trio than those three guys doing calling fights, okay? Uh, it proved once and for all, beyond any reasonable doubt, that uh, Morio Ronaldo is, is a total jerk. And he ruins the broadcast. It actually took, I don't know if you noticed, but it actually took um, Al Bernstein and Paulie Malinaji a, a round or two to get used to not getting cut off in the middle of their, their thought or, uh, you know, having him yelling and screaming about his stupid, what he thinks is funny. Instead, they had a, a, a guy that knows what he's talking about, that knows the sport and, and lays down... Uh, the, the questions and tosses the softballs up 
uh, to the experts like Al Bernstein and Paulie Malignaggi. Let me tell you, it was an enjoyable fight to watch and listen to. Normally, Showtime events I don't listen to because I can't stand Ronaldo. Uh, but the truth of the matter was, the fight itself, extremely exciting. Uh, I gave the edge to Lara, but the way the judges scored it, and that's all that mattered, was 114-113. Uh, One judge had it for Lara, the other two scoring it at the same score, 114-113 for Jared Hurd. Hurd improves to 22-0 and with 15 knockouts and uh, uh, is now the uh, unified uh, champion. Lara drops uh, the third fight uh, of his career, uh, dropping to 25-3-2, uh, uh, and two, and I believe Hurd is 23-0 uh, now. Um, joining me right now uh, from St. Simons is uh, my man uh, Sal uh, Rocky Senecola. Sal, what would you think of the fight? I thought it was a tremendous fight. It was my kind of fight, and I loved it. I mean, these guys didn't have to look for each other. They were there, and uh, I, I'll tell you, it was a battle of attrition. It was a good fight, and very entertaining fight. And, you know, I couldn't help but think while I was watching the fight, what you may be thinking with the same thing about the absence of Ronaldo, and, uh, because it was clear that, uh, you know, you heard, uh, you heard Tompkins, you heard, you heard Paulie Malignaggi, Al Bernstein. I'll tell you what, you had a trifecta right there. They're three of the best. And to hear their comments without any uh, fluff and you're just delivering the stuff, I'd love to use that term. It was beautiful. It was great. And they're so in, they have such an insight of uh, what's going on in the fight. They know boxing. They're boxing people. And it was a great thing to, uh, to just hear. But what an enter entertaining fight it was. And uh, I had the fight 115 to 113 for uh, James Hurd. So uh, that was a good fight. It's Jared Hurd, but uh, I, I thought Jared, that... Jared, you know what? I, you, you, so I, thank you for the correction. No, no problem. I, I, uh, I actually scored it for Lara, 114-113. And the reason I was explaining earlier is a lot of the punches... No disrespect to Jared Hurd because I enjoy... What, what I loved about this guy is he never stops going forward. Yeah. And he was in superb, superb conditioning. I mean, this guy... Did not tire. And and I know you, you're running a little late today, but did you hear who I thought he reminded me of? Did you catch that? No, I did not. Uh, no. He, he reminds me, his style, the way he comes at you and the way he delivers his punches and stuff, and by no means am I suggesting that he's going to accomplish the same. But George Foreman, a young George Foreman, the way he would come in, seek and destroy. I mean, go watch some you know footage what? of him. He That's the way he would deliver his punches. I mean, it's kind of awkward, but but thudding. Um, I, I don't know. I kept I kept having, you know, relapses of a young George Foreman in that fight, Sal. You know, I could see where you could see that. And, and, and you know, because he would have a combination, and he just would nonchalantly drop his hands and walk towards the opponent like a prey, and then and then start to get in position and bang away and do it. I could see where you could find that. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, well, like I said, my kind of fighter, he, he did a great job. I mean, he came to fight. He was always in the pocket, and he was in condition. I mean, when you see fighters trading shots and blowing, I mean, I'm going to tell you something, Bill. That's the kind of fight. These guys are going to feel this this fight for about two weeks. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, they're going to be, they're going to be, you know, having bruises, pains, 
you know, they'll get over it. It'll be fine. It's going to be like never happened. But the bottom line is these guys are going to think of each other for about two, three weeks right now when they uh, are healing up and the bruises start to dissipate. One thing I didn't understand uh, from Lara's game is he was so effective um, when he was boxing. I mean, his counterpunching and his hand speed were, were right there. I mean, just tagging uh, Hurd uh, almost at will. But then, for some reason, he, he decided to, you know, f- make the fight off the ropes more, uh, at least um, for the majority of the fight. And he was effective. I mean, he was counterpunching and stuff. But he put himself in a position where Hurd was able to work that body and it paid dividends for Hurd because uh, towards the end of the fight, I'm not so sure Lara could move the way he, he should have been earlier in the fight. I was a little surprised at that game plan. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, whether he was trying to show that he could hang in there with a bigger guy and talk about bigger. I mean, this guy looked like a heavyweight fighting a middleweight. It, it was uh, absurdly different in, in side, but size. But, uh, but at the end of the night, I, I actually thought Lara pulled it out because of the way his punches landed more flush. But I don't have a problem with the scores because they were all the same. It was a close fight. You know, one round uh, ended up to actually what decided it for the two, two of the three judges was the knockdown in that uh, final round. And I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been having much of a problem if the fight ended in a draw either, Sal. No, and, and I understand that. And, you know, I, I did see Jared Hurd uh, in, in, in the fight a little bit more dominant than maybe you saw. But, but that's just, just because, you know, I was also surprised about, you know, Lara. He was back on the ropes a lot. And, you know, he has, has great effective counterpunching. But I think, you know, with that game plan, I think he, he realized that this guy, he's hitting him with anything he can. And, and let's not uh, forget that Jared Hurd is not a difficult target to hit. And, uh, you know, but when you are banging away and, and trying to keep your opponent off you and hitting him with shots you think that are going to, you know, catch his attention, and the guy keeps coming at you, you know, you, you start to think to yourself, well, maybe I got to change my game plan or something here. Maybe I got to have him tire out. Maybe I should just let him come at me. And, you know, you, you, you think about these things. I don't know if his corner gave him any advice or anything there. Uh, as as you suggested, maybe it was a closer fight. Uh, but when he got caught with that hook uh, in the, in the twelfth uh, round, uh, I'll tell you that 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 pretty much sealed the deal for a lot of people. Hey, uh, speaking of corner, I don't know if you noticed, but Ronnie Shields was in the corner of Arslandy uh, Lara. Now Lara is a guy who needed an interpreter to do an interview. Um, but yet Ronnie Shields was the guy giving him in between round instructions in English. I was wondering if there, and I couldn't pick it up on the mic, but I don't know if there was a guy interpreting what Ronnie was saying or if Lara can understand English, just can't speak it. But either way, maybe that was a problem, Sal, because he didn't seem to make adjustments. He, he didn't seem to to fight the smart fight. I mean, after after two or three, maybe even four rounds, you're hitting this guy, landing flush with everything you got, and he's he's not. It's like this this reoccurring dream I have all the time about that. But but uh, you know, it's not affecting him. You know, it's yeah. not affecting him. You got to go to Plan B, like which is hey, use your feet, use your hand speed, you use your accuracy, and and win the fight on the scorecards. I mean, it almost seemed like Lara was going for the knockout early on. 
and then just was in survival mode. I don't know. I don't know. But he, he I don't know if he was listening to Ronnie Shields. Ronnie Shields was was saying a lot in between rounds, and I couldn't really decipher whether um, Lara was listening and, and doing what he was saying or whether he was just nodding and doing what he's used to doing. Well, you know, and you said something very significant. You know, having communication between a competent uh, cornerman or trainer and his fighter, you know, basically, you know, you hear fighters often referred to and and I was just as guilty. Oh, we're going to do this. Or we saw that. Or we said, because you almost feel, you know, there's that close-knit relationship you have with your trainer. And, and he's part of the, we're going to do. We, we, we are going to do that, this, that, everything else. The bottom line is, if there is a communication barrier or gap that they do not communicate and understand each other's uh, language, yeah, you're going to have definitely some holes to counter. And, you know, for that... Uh, Intensive purposes for all that intensive purposes. Yeah, there's got to be somebody interpreting uh, However, you know, I, I'm not sure what the with the level of, of um, English he knows or understands and maybe just can't speak it I don't know, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes I can understand Italian I just don't know how to ex explain it or talk about it too much, you know um, After the fight uh, a couple of quotes uh, Lara says besides the last round. I thought I was winning this fight easily uh, that's not to decide the fight, meaning the knockdown. I was winning the fight. One punch in a fight doesn't determine it. It was a great fight for the fans. I stood there. I fought. It was fun. I thought I clearly won this fight. Once again, a decision goes against me. But, hey, we just have to do the rematch. Um, yes. Hey, first, of all, first of all, um, I, it was a close fight. I mean, I, like I said, I do agree with one judge. I scored the fight 114-113. Uh, I was uh, uh, more, I, I was kind of focusing on the punches that Jared Hurd was throwing. He clearly threw more punches. Uh, yes. And and according to the um, statistics, which are, you know, um, just somebody else's opinion, they're, they're subjective, uh, he landed more. But... But the truth of the matter was is a lot of those punches that were being counted as landed were not landing flush. Uh, but every time Lara seemed to throw a punch, and especially when he threw a one-two combo, they would both land boom, boom, square. I mean, it was, it was, it was beautiful. But I'm, not, I'm okay with the, uh, with the uh, scores. I'm, I'm okay uh, because it was a close fight. It could have gone any way. Some of those close rounds, you know, I score it one way, a judge scores it another. Um, Heard said it was a tough one, but I went out there and I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I fought all 12 rounds and I got the victory. I didn't feel like I needed the knockdown. I feel like I was in control the whole fight applying pressure. Well, you see, that's that line right there is where the scoring differences come in, Sal. Um, being aggressive and throwing punches doesn't and shouldn't always automatically mean you get the W. You got to be um, aggressive, but but effective aggression is is the word. So, so effective aggression means you got to land the punches. Now I'm not saying he didn't because uh, Lara looked busted up for the first time in his career. But uh, you know it's not just about going forward. You gotta you gotta land punches. I love the fight, and judging by the comment from Lara. It seemed that at least he was smart enough and his team was smart enough uh, to put a rematch clause uh, in the contract. Since both were champions, uh, I would love to, uh, to see what the, uh, 
what the contract stated, if they both had the option of a rematch or, or what? Well, it's a good point. And I, I know what you're saying also with the ebb and flow of the fight. And, you know, I think effective aggression or, or being as such that, you know, yes, you'd like to see those punches land. But I think also, to Hurd's credit, being effective and, and just moving forward and being constantly on top of your opponent can be very tiresome and very frustrating when you see you're hitting this guy, you're countering with some good punches, you're hitting him clean, and the guy is still in front coming at you. And, and you know, so in, in essence, that's another form of being somewhat effective in aggression. Uh, you know, maybe not so much with every punch landing crisp, clean, and hurting you, but I think just you could take a fighter's heart away um, or you could definitely frustrate the heck out of him. Uh, and I think that was effective on, on Jared Hurd's part. Um, and, you know, like I said, I saw the fight in my, in my eyes. I think I just saw Hurd a little more dominant. And I'll tell you what. I'll go on record right now. There should be a rematch, but I, I think Jared Hurd will win in a little more dominant fashion this time, next time out too. I think he's got his number. You see, the funny thing is, is if they have a rematch, I think Lara's going to win, and I'll tell you why. I think that he will fight a smarter fight, in and out, Bob, you know, nail a couple of shots, get out of harm's way, a la uh, Floyd running Mayweather. You know, a guy like that, it's not as exciting as we got, um, but uh, but that's how Lara could win that fight against a big, strong guy like, uh, like Hurd. But I, I enjoyed well, the fight. I thought it was uh, a very entertaining fight, and you know it's funny to hear both guys feeling how how easily they won, and it yeah. it certainly wasn't an easy fight for either fighter, uh, no. but uh, but I think Lara, uh, he said it was fun in there. I, I don't know, man. He, he seemed like he. I wonder how he's thinking this morning, like you suggested earlier. He's uh, he's probably uh, having a hard time breathing and uh, uh, maybe a little. Uh, Maybe a little blood is uh, leaking out of uh, some areas, but uh, is, any- is, go ahead. I was gonna say it's like Rocky Balboa said in the movie: "My whole body feels like a headache." We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, we got the uh, rest of the fight uh, results from that card, and also uh, some other big fights uh, coming in about two minutes. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, we're talking about the fights that took place over the weekend. We just got done talking about the uh, Jared Hurd victory uh, to unify uh, a couple of the belts, which I'll get to a little bit later. That's one of my pet peeves today. I got uh, the WBA, man. What, what, a, what a bunch of clowns. And this was a WBA uh, fight as well. But uh, uh, also on that card, James DeGaulle. Uh, regained his IBF super middleweight title uh, by beating um, Khalib Truax in in 
what I thought was kind of a, a, I thought it was a close fight. I mean, we had some weird scores. Well, one weird score. Uh, two of the judges scored the fight, 114-113. And one judge scored the fight, 117-110, to all in favor of DeGal. Now, DeGal was landing the better punches, and, and Truax was an example of a guy who was being aggressive but wasn't being effective aggression. Um, he did bust up uh, uh, DeGal. Uh, DeGal uh, did headbutt him a couple of times unintentionally. And then finally, just as a payback, it seemed that the referee ruled a, uh, you know accidental headbutt as a punch, and DeGal bled for the whole fight. Um, I think Robert Byrd has should consider hanging him up. Um, he's not refereeing that well anymore. But as far as the fight, DeGal squeaked by another victory. Khalib Truax is nothing special. I, if I'm DeGal, I would consider walking away as a champ right now. What would you think of that fight, Sal? Yes, I, I did see the uh, majority of the highlights in there. and I, I did see DeGal. Um Dominant. I thought he he definitely won the fight, and uh, I could see where you make a point that maybe he should just you know try to wrap it up and stuff. He he definitely uh, looked good at points, and he uh, you know I thought he definitely won the fight, and uh, you know I, I I called it the other day, and you know, I thought that he was going to do that, and he's an older fighter now, and but I thought that his uh, his heart desire wanting to regain that title uh, would would show through the end and it did well the truth of the matter is it's true true acts is just it's, not i mean he's just, a gutty guy he he comes at you he's strong uh very limited in skills and and de gal is is a is a you know a guy that's been in there with some tough fighters um normally uh, you know the youth would would hold out and win similar to the herd lara fight and also um, the other fight that was on the card that we got to see on TV, Julian Williams improved to 25-1 with a draw when he won a 12-round majority decision over the Stanley uh, Gallimore. Um, I, I don't know. This fight was a hard one to score. Uh, Williams was, again, the bigger guy in the ring. His punches seemed to do more damage. Uh, than Gallimore's punches did on him, but Gallimore seemed to counterpunch better. I, this was another tough one to score. You know, the trend I see is is guys that are becoming proficient, and they have these nutritionists uh, joining their teams at at shedding the weight for the weigh in, then then you know uh, hydrating up to monstrous sizes, and we saw that again. Uh, J-Rock uh, against Gallimore. But this is a guy that's very limited um, in the junior middleweight division. It was an elimination fight. So uh, depending upon what the contract stated for the Hurd-Lara fight uh, for the IBF side, the winner, which was J-Rock, uh, now earns a shot uh, at, uh, at Hurd. I don't think he stands a chance. I, you know, no disrespect to Julian Williams, but he's just a very limited fighter, Sal. Well, yeah, I, I don't see him uh, making much progress uh, 
against an opponent like Hurd. And uh, he, you know, he, he has some, some moments there. And uh, But, you know, like you said, you know, if you're going to be, you know, multi-dimensional, you have a little bit more you can offer your opponent uh, in different uh, rounds as far as uh, to look at. And then, you know, you do the body, you want to box, you want to slug, you want to do this. You know, but a one-dimensional fighter is, is a little bit more predictable, a little bit more uh, methodical than just a breaking down or so. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a tough challenge ahead for him. But we'll see what he could do. Uh, I want to give it, never discount anybody that that that, that steps in that squared circle. I want to give a great shout out to our our, our he's he's practically supporting the show on his own. Joseph Olson uh, just with another super <laughs> chat. Uh, it says we should do some collaborations with other YouTube channels. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, man. You know, I appreciate the uh, super chat, but uh, unless somebody reached out to me and made it uh, worth our while, and I don't mean money-wise, I just mean with a cross-promotion uh, deal, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I hate to say this, and, and I really don't want to get into this because I don't want to turn anybody off, but the truth of the matter is is that I, I don't look at other shows as competition to us and i'll tell you why i don't i know we're 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 small on youtube compared to some of the others but that's not our main gig you know um we try to present our show in a, in a professional manner where i don't see it with other shows I, I and and quite honestly i don't really even watch them but a lot of them are are very uh hackish that's all i'm going to say but thanks joseph uh i appreciate it also on that card <laughs> You know, I never liked Sergio Mora, ever. Never liked this guy. I mean, you know, I mean, you know what? I will tell you this. He's a pretty good uh, uh, commentator, but, uh, you know, as, as an analyst. But uh, um, never liked him in the ring. And him and Alfredo Angulo, who was a very limited fighter, but an exciting fighter, um, fought. And, you know, the winner was going to get another shot, even though they're both... Uh, uh, you know, in the twilights of their career. But the Latin snake, Sergio Mora, uh, won a uh, split decision over Angulo. He improved to 29-5 and 2. Angulo drops to 24-8 uh, uh, and, uh, oh, with 20 knockouts. 77-75 for Angulo, but then two of the other judges scored at 78-74 in favor of Mora. Uh, a couple other fights I just want to mention real quickly. Um in a fight that actually, again, you always got to go uh, to other countries to see these kinds of fights. And this is why American boxing is, is falling deeper and deeper into the abyss. Uh, two top five um, contenders fought each other uh, in uh, uh, Australia on Saturday. Um, contenders uh, Dennis Hogan and Jimmy Kelly. Uh, both uh, in the junior middleweight division fought each other, and uh, um, Hogan came out on top to improve to 27 and one with a draw. And Jimmy Kelly drops the second fight of his career. He's now 23 and two. Uh, the way the judges scored at 119, 109, and two of them had at 117, 113. These are the kinds of fights that I like to see, Sal. Uh, two young fighters uh, going at it. Uh, without worrying about the, the ramifications or repercussions from it. That's how you climb the ladder in the sport. What's your thoughts? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, that's old school. That's what we like to see, and that's uh, that's basically how you do it. You look at the, the people above you, and you try to fight them and pull them off the ring, you know? Pull them off the rung and uh, and climb up above them. That's, that's the way it used to be. 
Well, it's the way it should be now, too. Still, it should be. I think it should know? be. I got a hundred thousand dollars. I want to slip you under the table. Where do you think you can put me? That's exactly what they do. <laughs> um, one other fight I I wanted to mention, uh, and and I'm actually mentioning this really for uh, our buddy Joel. Um, he I know because I know he got it. Uh, Rodolfo Gomez improved to thirteen wins, four losses, and a draw when he stopped former world champion Ricardo Mayorga in the eighth round Saturday night in Texas. Uh, Mayorga drops to uh, 32 wins, 11 losses, and a draw. 45 years old. He's now uh, lost uh, uh, two fights in a row via knockout, via by knockout. So, um, you know, uh, pretty uh, – pretty, uh, it's over for him. It was over for him years ago, Sal. I mean, uh, obviously, he needs some money. Remember, if you guys don't remember Ricardo Mayoga, he was the cigar-smoking, beer-drinking fighter that Don King had for years. I mean, uh, uh, I, I would assume he's not training uh, seriously now either. What do you think? Well, I I, I can't speak for him, but, uh, you know, uh, history, you know, usually repeats itself on a lot of levels. It's, it's, it's seldom do we uh, really take, you know, what we used to do and try to reinvent the wheel uh if that's our comfort zone if that's our habits if that's our lifestyle so uh maybe hey like i said you can't discount uh a change or new leaf or something else happening so you know we'll see how that develops we'll see you know the same thing we're going to find out about tyson fury when he gets back in the ring when if and when Funny you should mention that because uh, <laughs> hey, I, whoa, I, uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that in a second. First things first, we're gonna take a short break, and then when I come back, I'm gonna tell you why I feel that the WBA, the World Boxing Association, is what's wrong with boxing today. It's deeper than them, but they definitely lead the pack. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Um... You know, I said one of my main topics today was how awful. No, no, let me let me let me use another choice of word. Horrific, horrific is much better than uh, that strong. the WBA is, the World Boxing Association. Now, now before I get started on my rant, I just want to say this, and I said it in the beginning of the show: sanctioning bodies have really aided to the demise of the overall popularity. Of the sport of boxing. Now, now, hear me out because a lot of young fans, and I remember one fan specifically several years back trying to make an argument that the more the belts, the better. And he was trying to say that, um, 
know, gives fighters a better chance to to make more money and blah, blah, blah. But, but uh, because he, of his age, he doesn't understand that the basic principles of, of anything, business, supply and demand. So by having more belts, you're, you're devaluing the whole objective of obtaining a belt. And with that said, is it was easy for us, this, when I say us, the sport of boxing, to choke out um, these unnecessary sanctioning bodies. We could have done it, but we didn't. As a matter of fact, we gave it a lifeline. That lifeline was letting our fighters fight for their belts. The truth of the matter is, is now it's gotten so bad that a promoter can't, doesn't feel he can promote a fight card without a title on the card. A television network, at least here in the States, feel that they can't broadcast an event unless there's a title on it. They don't care what title it is as long as they get to promote that there's a title on the card. And the sad part about it is half the guys or gals making the decision that uh, we know which fights they're going to put on, et cetera, et cetera, don't even know about the sport of boxing. They're just going by what a record may look like, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's one fight that we all want to see right now. There's one. <laughs> If, if, if I asked uh, even even a marginal boxing fan, a casual boxing fan, hey, which fight you want to see? They're all going to say the same fight. What is it, Sal? It's going to be Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. Exactly. And not run. only I'm not only is that a, a good fight in terms of the two combatants, but it's also a, a great fight for the sport itself. So here we have... Anthony Joshua, currently the WBA champion, the IBF champion, the WBO champion now, and the IBO champion. And Deontay Wilder, he's the WBC champion. So don't bother taking your socks and shoes off. That equals five, and those are the five sanctioning, uh, major sanctioning bodies. Um, the WBA, and it happened, uh, we knew this last week when we were talking about it, but um, I didn't realize the extent Alexander Povetkin was given a, a layup in his last fight. And I say a layup because David Price has proven to be nothing more than a human punching bag. And Alexander Povetkin, no disrespect to him, but he has definitely seen better days. Well, nonetheless, he moved himself to become the mandatory world title challenger for the WBA with his victory. And it was a, a brutal knockout over David Price uh, two weeks ago on the... Um, on the undercard of uh, Anthony Joshua against Joseph Parker. Here's where my hang-up lies. We're all waiting anxiously to have the deal set between AJ and Deontay. And all of a sudden, the WBA comes in and gives uh, Anthony Joshua 30 days to negotiate with Alexander Povetkin, otherwise they're stripping him of the WBA belt. Now, the other part of this scenario is that he has to fight by September. This was this sounding familiar. I mean, these are all the dates that we were, we were hoping for a we while to fight. Yeah. Here's my hang-up, okay? I get it about uh, mandatories. I get it. But you know what? Sanctioning bodies should recognize the value of having a unified champion. At least let them unify before you strip. Here's the worst part about the WBA. The WBA 
has the you-know-whats to demand this when Anthony Joshua is technically their super champion in the heavyweight division. They have a regular champion. His name is Manuel Char. They already have a mandatory fight with him and Fred Quendo, who hasn't stepped in the ring for over 30, th three years, over three years. He's 45 years old. So you're going to tell me that a reputable sanctioning body who has a guy, Manuel Char, not many people even know who he is, but he, he was just a journeyman type uh, heavyweight, um, fighting uh, Fred Quendo, who hasn't fought inside a ring for over three years. He's 45 years old, and he's lost every title chance he's ever had. That's a mandatory. And all of a sudden, Alexander Povetkin is going to cause a stripping of a super title. Now, a super title, boys and girls, was supposed to mean a guy who has more than one belt in these divisions. The regular title was the title that, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but that was supposed to be the one where mandatories fight, and then the super champion has to fight that guy. How Alexander Povetkin gets thrown into the mix that could potentially uh, ruin a showdown is beyond me. What makes it worse, Hearn says, the WBA uh, is forcing us to fight Povetkin next. We got to make this negotiation happen within 30 days. It means it's very uh, likely that Anthony's next fight will be between Wilder or Povetkin. With a mandatory challenge being set, Joshua and his camp will either need to fight Povetkin uh, next, agree to a step-aside deal with Povetkin, which could see uh, the Russian face Dillian White, or vacate Anthony Joshua's WBA belt altogether. Povetkin says that he only wants to fight Joshua. Povetkin said, I'm, uh, I'm the challenger for the championship. I really look forward to this moment where I can fight with the strongest in the world. Now Anthony Joshua has four belts. I really want this fight. I'm not even going to think about proposals to box with other rivals or take step-aside money. Sal... Wow. What's your thoughts, man? Well, you know, depending on how large of an amount that that uh, step aside money may be, because um, cash talks on that level and uh, concessions to bargain a, a couple of months might uh, might persuade him differently. We'll see. I, I can't speak for any fighter or anybody as an individual, but uh, the bottom line is uh, it's politics as usual in the sport of boxing. And even though the number one fight we want to see is the showdown between two great heavyweights uh, that are the, the most prominent ones today holding belts, and that, as we know, is Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. And But the politics may not allow that. And that's why I say, Bill, if this fight doesn't take place in 2018, this fight may never take place because of all the different ins and outs of, of, of uh, what uh, sanctioning bodies are going to demand from these two champions as far as mandatories and everything else. And can they afford to be stripped of their titles and still fight in the sport of boxing and a big showdown? Sure they can because their, their, their presence, their skill set, their level of accomplishments are what the fans are want, wanting to see. And I, I, it doesn't matter if they have a belt right now. Uh, but the bottom line is they do. And with that becomes uh, an automatic endorsement, becomes a, 
becomes uh, something else that's bigger than what they, they are right now. So I don't think they're going to want to forfeit belts, but if they have to forfeit one or two and, um, yeah, and, and get in the ring, we'll see. Each, each man's an individual. I can't speak for them. But uh, as far as the step-aside money and the Pervekian, hey, hey, you know, like I said, if the money is large enough, I'm sure he can turn a cheek as long as he knows he'll fight for uh, the next guy in line. This is also a guy that's been busted for uh, steroid use a couple of times. That's right. Uh, this is also a guy that um, seems to get all these crazy, uh, weird scenario victories in Russia. Remember, this is the guy. This is the guy who the fought guy. the guy with the neck. Remember, the guy, the guy, the guy <laughs> breaks his the neck, neck practically in the ring. And and uh, and they start doing physical therapy on him. That was the most real ri- ridiculous scenario I ever witnessed. And and they they paused action for several minutes, like six minutes, not just a couple, it's like six minutes. And then they let him fight. And Povetkin couldn't even knock the guy out. He went the distance with his neck cracked over to the side. Uh, I just think it's it's terrible that the WBA is even doing this. You know, I I mean, listen. You could say what you want about the WBC. The WBC, uh, you know, they act like they are the sport of boxing. There's nothing else. But at least they are usually very workable when it comes time to unification. And here you have two fighters that at least seemingly want to fight each other in AJ and Deontay Wilder. So, you know, I I mean, you, you make... You see if that fight can happen because the benefit, the W, listen, the sanctioning bodies, all they care about is the sanctioning fees. So let me ask you something. Wouldn't the WBA be in a better position to collect more of a percentage of a fee if they let the fight between Deontay Wilder and uh, AJ happen versus a fight between AJ and Povetkin? I mean, don't get me wrong. AJ is still going to generate the money he generates for fighting whoever, but against Deontay Wilder, that's going to generate a hell of a lot more money, a hell of a lot more money than uh, Alexander Povetkin, don't you think? Oh yeah, I think so. So you know, it's it, like I said, you know, cash is king in a fight game, and uh, you know the others uh, fall into place, and uh, you know may buy buy some time, but you know we we're looking for for the. The one and only fight that uh, is going to satisfy a lot of a lot of uh, appetites right now, and you know what we have to do to to get it to come to fruition is going to be you know a lot of juggling of the monies and and juggling of uh, of the sanctioning bodies. Yeah, it's it's a shame because uh, um, you know the sport and and I say this all the time, the sport of boxing um, needs unity, not division. And the sanctioning bodies try their hardest to keep it divided because they want their claws in the cash cows. Um, It's a shame because right now we are are in a spot with the sport of boxing that is putting us back uh, 30 years in terms of popularity, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have the players and the fighters, so to speak. Uh, We have some interest. We have... We've gotten rid of the boring fighters, or at least uh, this, the main boring fighter. He's gone, you know. So, and, and what's happened is a lot of these young fighters are, are picking up the torch, and and it's almost like they went back in time because you know they want to fight each other. They're fighting excited. Listen, 
Lara was a great example of that this past weekend. Here's a guy, traditional Cuban fighter, who uses boxing skill and movement and boxing ability uh, to win fights. And what does he do? He, he made it a priority to be in an exciting fight. That didn't work out well for him in terms of the wins and losses, but he definitely put on a great show, and the people are talking about that fight. And isn't that what we need in the sport of boxing, Sal? People talking about it on Monday mornings. Well, that's how we uh, we keep the sport alive and, and thrive. And, uh, you know, it's the, well, the the water cooler talk, the parlor talk. Well, that's an old term. And just, just to, to have it out there. You know, hey, did you see this fight this past week? And, wow, did you see that guy? Wow, he did this, he did. You know, that's the kind of uh, talk that drives with momentum and you magnify it. And it, it, it it's grows and grows. And, you know, that's what fight fans used to do all the time in the past and and i think they're starting to catch on and do it now i'm i'm hearing more revitalization and interest in boxing and you know i i i i live in georgia where predominantly they're an mma kind of uh um uh, uh fan base uh but you know we are really definitely making an imprint and and showing some good sides of interest in boxing including our radio show being uh, localized over here. We're getting a lot of boxing fans that are coming to uh, to the table here. I got to uh, give a shout-out to uh, my man Johnston, who, once again, you know, I love this uh, super chat. I'm glad Willie uh, made me do it. These guys uh, are uh, putting their money where their mouth is, and, and Johnston just uh, gave us a super chat, and he wants me to say, if AJ is serious about fighting Wilder, then he should let the WBA strip him. He will yep. have a chance to claim it back again next year. That's right. I agree with Johnston. I agree. With I, I, I agree. think that both uh, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua, um, because of the publicity and because of the fanfare, are above the belt. Floyd Mayweather was above the belt. Manny Pacquiao was above the belt. You know, uh, big names throughout the history of the sport became above the belts, which means... Fans still want to see them, whether there's a belt on the line or not. This is where the sanctioning bodies shoot themselves in the foot. They're so uh, dependent on the the spineless, gutless, uh, you know, promoter and and the network exec that they got to have a title. That that's what they're putting their bank on. What they need to do. What listen, the powers that be, which are the fighters. If they start saying, forget I'm not, Floyd Mayweather hadn't paid a sanctioning fee in years. I ain't paying a sanctioning fee, but they all let him fight, didn't they? Because they used him as an, as a, as an advertisement for their belt. Well, you know what? I think it would work counterproductively for the WBA if Anthony Joshua says, no, I'm trying to make a fight against Deontay Wilder, the fight that the fans want. The fight that me and Deontay Wilder want. So forget you, WBA. You can have juiced up Povetkin and Manuel Char and Freza Quendo beat the shit out of each other for your worthless piece of garbage belt. Go ahead. That's what I would say if I was Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. What's your thoughts? Well, like you were suggesting, hey, these guys right now, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, they are what what I would say are the leaders of the heavyweight division uh, on top. And I think each of these two fighters 
could have a two tops, maybe three year reign uh, at the top of their game and uh, reclaiming, refighting, revisiting uh, a title or a belt here or there that may be stripped, uh, I think is always going to be in a mix. And I think they both have a good solid two or three years on the top before there's too many chinks in the armor or uh, inability to keep climbing or so. I think, uh, I think that the, with that being said, those belts that get stripped are always going to be available for them to reattain. And, and, uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, they should give the fight fans what we want. And that's a showdown between two undefeated fighters that are claiming to be the world heavyweight champions. And, uh, that's, that's, that's what you're saying, Bill. This is possibly bigger than, than the sport itself right now of boxing <laughs> have people really make a statement and say, Hey, you know what? You can strip me of this. We're going to give the fans what we want, and we'll reclaim that belt when the time comes. Give a shout-out to my man, Joel. He just gave us a super chat. He says, let's see Mayorga fight on. I'll keep ordering. Uh, I guess he's a masochist. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, Joel, Joel, uh, you're a funny guy, man. Got but love uh, Joel. Yeah, but um, I, I just, uh, you know, I, when I see this kind of stuff, and I see, you know, right in the heat of, of negotiation and, and, you know, fan uh, publicity, so to speak, the way the fans are talking about it, the, the, the hype that's generated and, and all the positives about the sport of boxing. And then the WBA has to come out and, and you know, try to flex their muscle. Um, it's what's wrong with the sport. And, and, I, and as much as Anthony Joshua wants all the belts and so does Deontay, um, all the fighters want all the belts. I think it's time that boxing unifies themselves as a sport and says, listen, are we going to be continued to be puppets? Because that's what's happened with the sport of boxing. Throughout the history of the sport, you could make an argument that fighters have always been puppets. They've been the fighters that have been, been taken points. advantage of by management, by promoters throughout the history of time, and they've been puppets. But at least they learned through the, the uh, uh, misadventures of a lot of fighters of yesteryear of what not to do. Fighters that, that give their all in the ring and die penniless, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now, you know, fighters seem to be going down a, a better path in terms of financial um, thought process and, and investment opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Well, why not continue that? where you improve it for the fighter. Why don't we cut that puppet string once and for all and make a stand against the sanctioning bodies? Boxing doesn't technically need the sanctioning bodies, or we certainly don't need as many. You know, if a san you know, everybody laughs at me when I say about the IBO. The IBO, when you think about it, is really the best sanctioning body. And the reason why I say this is because their ranking system is based on a computer, not payoffs. They don't have interim champions. They don't have champions in recess. You know, they have the guy who beat the guy. They're champions. They don't even have mandatories. Their champions become a champion, and then they got to defend the title. End of story. You know, I mean, that's basically what a champion does. Now, I mean, you could add to that that they have to be a, a, a contender. But think about that. You know, when you're dealing with the IBO, you're dealing with computerized contenders. That means a computer is figuring out who number one, number two, number three is based on their 
opposition and their opposition's opposition and their opposition's opposition's opposition. So they're going that deep into it. When you're dealing with the other sanctioning bodies, it's just like what South said earlier. How much money can you put in my checking account to make your fighter miraculously appear in our mandatory position to fight the champion? Better yet, we'll strip the guy if he doesn't fight you. You know, And that's what's happening. It's time for the fighters and the sport and the fans to cut the string. The WBA should be made an example of, just like Canelo Alvarez was just recently made an example of, about being a cheater. What's your thoughts, Sal? Well, you know my thoughts. I, I think, you know, uh, I'll say it again. We borrow Boo Boo Mancini, my old buddy's uh, uh, words. Hey, there's one world. Why can't we have one one sanctioning body? And uh, uh, last I checked it, hey, he's still right on. And, you know, let, let, let's form our own little thing. Why don't we become another sanctioning body? We'll call the WBBS, World Boxing Bill and Sal. And you know what? We'll go back to 15 rounds. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll take all the world champions today, and we'll rank them in our top 10, and uh, we'll have them show down and fight. You know, that's, that's, I'm saying that just to just to say that i mean that's that's sometimes with the millions of dollars behind invested in these things how these bodies are are legitimately formed and and sanctioned bodies come about so it's it's easy to see you know we we have the process of boxing and to recognize one world champion or each sanctioning body's world champion is why we are so uh, blinded by the, the rhetoric and the confusion and the, the, the whole thing that boxing once stood for. You know, we, we had the weight classes that could define who their champion uh, was representing and uh, uh, that weight class. And, you know, it, it's just it's just too much today. And, and, you know, it's I don't know, Bill, I wish it was a little easier, a little less complex than than uh, all these sanctioning bodies trying to chip in and, and call the rules of boxing. Boxing is one of the oldest sports. It started back centuries ago and uh, and evolved to where it is today. But how far has it really come? <laughs> it's a good point. Um, how far I has it really come? Uh, it's it's the same. It's the same stuff. The my same. book. Uh, my book about Tom Molino. Uh, his big fight. His world title fight was in 1810. And aside from the styles, everything else is pretty much the same. The same corruption and et cetera, et cetera. You know, the one advantage that Dana White and the UFC had is that they formed a league. And it's the same thing we have with other league sports, whether you're dealing with American football or baseball or basketball or hockey or, or soccer. There's, there's a league. And in order to be a team, to be part of that league, there's rules and regulations that you have to follow. Well, Dana White was in a great position when he had the foresight to, to design a league and set up a league in MMA's infancy as a professional sport. And today, um, it's a very powerful league. And boxing, people are very quick to say, oh, well, just let's form a league. Well, no. You know, I've had people reach out to me many times. It's time for you to support a boxing union. We've got to have a union for the fighters. All of that is a great idea. The problem is, is you can't expect to just have it happen overnight. And the reason is because there'll be someone with a large bank account that'll get someone to cross over. If it's a union, then all of a sudden the guy will fight outside the union because of the money situation. If it's a sanctioning body, all of a sudden this guy gets a chance to fight for a world title, big money on a cable network, and he jumps ship. So it's hard 
to really enforce everything we're saying. Everybody agrees with what we're saying, but I, I would be I would be shocked if somebody tried to give me a counterpoint on what we're saying. The only people that could really do it are the people that are in control of the sport, and the people that are in control of the sport are three groups of people: the fighters themselves, the management, which consists of managers and promoters, and the television networks. Those are the three groups of people involved in the sport of boxing today that can definitely squeeze out the sanctioning bodies or at least get them to play nice. You know, they, they attempted to play nice when they all came up with super champions or, or diamond-studded champions. That was their way of letting a fighter unify a belt and still be able to make a, re a, a big revenue stream by having their regular champions. And, and you know, although the WBA is so stupid that they call their regular champion a regular champion, the, the WBC at least calls it something else, oh. you know, the diamond champion. But, but, but and now they're take, the greed factor is, and, and, and here's what makes it all worse. The WBA said that they were going to eliminate all that BS. And, and so you, you got the WBA who currently has a, Super champion, a regular champion, an interim champion, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they have the uh, a champion of Murtai or a champion in recess. But those are technically five uh, championships that you can have in the same division within one sanctioning body. It's terrible, and until these guys take the claws out of the sport, it's never going to be a unified sport. It's got to be unified. We can't. We can't get a a government-run commission. We can't get a league set up. We can't get a union set up. All of that is, they're all great ideas, but very hard to accomplish. But what we can accomplish is a little more unity. Hey, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, I got some other things that I want to talk about. I got some emails. We got some news. We're busy, man. Don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I, I, I tell you, you know, you think the WBA is, is the only one that uh, maybe could go see a shrink or something. How about uh, Frank Warren, Sal? Because Frank Warren said that uh, Tyson Fury would beat Anthony Joshua right now. He said he would, he would jab him <laughs> silly. Uh, 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 Frank Warren said, for me, Fury is head and shoulders above the rest and far superior operator, even though he's still got a lot to prove again. Uh, could you see Joshua controlling Tyson like he did uh, Joseph Parker? I can't see it. He would jab him silly. In fairness to him, Joshua did mention Tyson in his post-fight interviews, and it's becoming more and more obvious that AJ is about the only sane one there. Um, I would question uh, 
uh, Frank Warren's senility if he really thinks that Tyson Fury at this stage. And let's let's make no mistake, the biggest problem that Anthony Joshua has today, at least what I can see with his performances, Sal, is when he fights a shorter guy, he struggles. But when he fights a guy the same size or taller, he, he takes he takes care of business. Tyson Fury's still 500 pounds, never really possessed the punching power that a man of his size could. And um, I just, uh, I don't see Tyson Fury, even if he was in his in his best beating Anthony Joshua. No, neither do I. And uh, that's why they could say all they want to say uh, <laughs> because they're not in the ring. Uh, I see Anthony Joshua totally dismantling Tyson Fury bit by bit. And uh, that, I mean, that's, that's what I see. It's my opinion. I, I just see that uh, Tyson Fury, he's got a lot to get back into the ring and prove uh, even to, deserve a, a shot to step in a ring with Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder and I think uh, even though he is big and undefeated and uh, can can fight I just see these guys that have had some continuity some momentum uh, going in and uh, just totally outboxing out punching outscoring and outlasting uh, Tyson Fury well Tyson listen I I, I was a big fan of Tyson Fury. He could definitely box and move it, but 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 his his advantage was similar to Klitschko's when the Klitschko's busted onto the scene for as long as they did, and they were constantly fighting smaller guys. Tyson Fury was always bigger; would be able to lean. Uh, he would hold and punch a little bit. It took him a long time to deliver his jab correctly. He was delivering his jab from from below his waist, and by the time it it would hit his opponent. But that's because he was fighting smaller guys. You know, you can't deliver a jab like that against Anthony Joshua. So, I, listen, time will tell. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, last week we were talking about a possible fight between uh, Koki Kamada and the guy who beat him in uh, Pong Saglet, uh, Wang Jung Kam. Um, and they were talking about the fight, the date, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Japanese Boxing Commission said nay-nay. They said that they will not approve the fight between Kamada and Wanjong Kam. And the reason is because they have a rule that says once you're uh, retired from the sport of boxing, um, they will not let you fight unless you had a fight within three years. Uh, if it's more than three years, then you're not allowed to fight anymore. So uh, wow. uh, they uh, nixed that. So we'll see what happens they wanted it to be a real fight, not an exhibition, because they could certainly get away with it if it was an exhibition. I got some emails. Uh, first one's from uh, my man Johnston. Um, he says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, after watching the gal Truax and Heard and Lara twice, he incidentally, he puts, which is a great fight, by the way, I noticed more controversial scoring. The scorecards are referred to are related to the Degal Truax fight. In the 10th round, Degal was unfairly judged to have used excessive use of his forearm. Now, he was warned by the referee, Robert Bird, before he took the point away, but he got it wrong, in his opinion, in Johnson's opinion. Uh, it was actually his shoulder that he used to maneuver away from Truax, which was not in any way an illegal move. I agree with, with that. He did use his shoulder, but you are not allowed to use your shoulder as a punch. But he that particular thing where he got his point, 
and the warning. If you go back and watch the warning, it was also his shoulder. Uh, Bird, that's what I was telling you. Bird needs to go do something else because uh, uh, he's not he's he's not a, a great referee. He's not. Um, he says what I found interesting was that all three scores, all three judges scored around ten nine to Truax. For me, DeGal was having one of the better rounds and was up on the scorecards before the deduction. I actually ended up scoring the round 9-9 and ended with DeGal winning the fight 115-112. I found it's interesting, as you and Larry have both mentioned something similar on the show, when a fighter is dominating a round and gets knocked down, of course the round uh, scored is not as much of a drastic swing, but a swing nevertheless. Another point that I discovered was on the punch stats, which I didn't uh, record, DeGal's body punches in the 10th. The Londoner hit the body on the retreat, which was not being counted as a punch, plus some of Truax shots that were recorded as landed were actually blocked. This was my point about the Jared Hurd fight, too, by the way, about those punch shots. That's why you can't go by them. Jim Lampley has lost his ability to call a fight because he goes by what the punch stats say. And it's two guys. It's their subjective opinion. And half of them don't know a, a fish hook from a left hook. So, anyway, he says another point that I discovered... Uh, oh, I read that. Uh, he says, uh, thankfully, James won the fight, and it was a scrappy and certainly not a convincing like he promised. What were your thoughts? How did you score the round? Uh, how big did Hurd look? Uh, it was like a middleweight against a welterweight. It was like a heavyweight against a middleweight. <laughs> um, you know, I, you make a great point, and Larry talks about this all the time, uh, about uh, the scoring and how unrealistic uh, it can be when you get to the scorecards at the end of the fight. You know, when you have a fighter that conceivably is winning a round, like Johnson suggests here with uh, uh, DeGal, and then he gets deducted a point, the, all three judges ended up scoring that 10-9 in his favor. The only way that that would be justified is if they went into that round thinking it was even and they were scoring a 10-10. The way you're supposed to do a, a scoring of a round is score the round first, then take the points away for uh, a knockdown or a uh, deduction of points. So in this case, if you scored the round uh, the way Johnston did, in my opinion, it was correct. If you if DeGal won that round, you would score a 10-9. Then you take the point that was deducted away from DeGal from the referee, and it becomes a 9-9 round. What's your thoughts, Sal? You just spelled it right out, and that's about as simple and as about as uh, clear and uh, definitive as one could expect. And uh, good job there. That, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I uh, uh, well, I agree. You um, agree with you. <laughs> I agree with me. I agree with me. I agree with me. We got another email here. This is from a man, Luke. He says, hey, gents, I certainly see your concern about the state of American boxing. Well, we've said it repeatedly that Deontay Wilder clearly – has terrible advisors around him. Well, in all honesty, boxing's supposed, uh, supposed stop, top star in Canelo clearly doesn't have much better in the way of how his advisors are advising him. Now let's take think for a second. Um, there's no way that the laboratory that tested Canelo came back with a failed test and instantly went public. They would have let uh, Golden Boy know so they would have time to consult their legal team and involve 
and everyone involved and then develop their own statement to release to the public. And by the way, Luke, I know you're not from the U.S., but we also have what they call HIPAA laws, uh, which prevent any kind of test result from being publicly, um, you know, given out. Uh, the, the, the person that is, you know, being tested has the right to do what they want with those results, but the doctors and labs cannot give out those results. Um, he says, uh, uh, now with that in mind, I can't believe for a second that Oscar De La Hoya didn't tell Canelo and his team that the fight on May 5th was dead. He must have known that regardless of whether Canelo is guilty or not, that there would no way be the fight on May 5th uh, would be able to go ahead. There's no way the fight would be able to go ahead. Just imagine Canelo walking into the ring on May 5th to a shower of booze, then one of two possibilities if he won. There is no uh, way anyone would believe the result was fair, and if he lost, his career and reputation would still be in tatters. Whether or not he's innocent or guilty, the first thing that should have happened was De La Hoya telling his team to release a statement stating that Canelo was going to go dark on social media and work with everyone involved to find out exactly what happened here. Now, I'm not naive. I know it's all about the money, but the moment that the test was failed, that was the end of the fight. Yet here we are with Triple G, who has who is the real victim here, scratching around trying to find a worthy opponent. We have the network still trying to make it Cinco de Mayo holiday fight by trying to hunt down a decent Mexican fighter, then uh, charge a pay-per-view, um, which is also a mistake. It's greed again. Uh, he says, I generally can't imagine, say, Anthony Joshua failing a drug test and Eddie Hearn wheeling him out in front of the Wembley Stadium for a big fight. I just can't believe he'd be that stupid. Also, did you notice uh, how not only Kell Brook uh, got in Spencer's face, he was called out by Jamel Charlo and mentioned that his next possible opponent for Jared Hurd, and he did this <clears throat> without pulling the WWE jumping in the ring move, and he did this without pulling the WWE uh, jumping in the ring and pulling that same move. Billy, the UK is where you need to be, my friend. Yeah, well, get us there. Hey, we, we've been telling people, get us there. All, all you big guys out in uh, the UK, get us there, right? But what's your thoughts on the email, Sal? I mean, uh, I think he's right. I think he's right on. I mean, that's what we're trying to say. I mean, the, the, the sport of boxing has got to really police itself and look at what the, what the truth of the matter is going on here and give it to the fans the way it should be. And uh, I think he's a very strong, uh, very strong with that email, and I, I agree with him. Um, speaking of Triple G, it was his birthday yesterday. He turned oh, uh, 36, birthday. 36 years old, remember, old. Um, and, you know, if I'm Triple G, I fight on Cinco de Mayo. If, you know, I don't even know why he wants it, but fight on Cinco de Mayo, then book the fight for Billy Joe Saunders and walk away. There's no re I, listen, you want to make an everlasting statement? Don't fight Canelo. There's no there's no reason to. Canelo uh, proved what he was. Hey, one of the best statements of the weekend came out, Sal. You know what it is? You heard what I said? No, not your statement. Oh, okay. Uh it, it it Dana White. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Dana White. I don't, you know, really follow him as much because I'm I'm not a a big MMA guy, but Dana White referred to Stephen Espinosa, <laughs> the same guy that I said 
you know, you take a look at this guy. I mean, I know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you take a look at this guy, and, and you know, I, I notice women grabbing a hold of their kids, you know, when he walks by. He looks like the guy you're not going to trust, right? Easy. Um, now, well, Dana White agrees with me. He called him a greasy, slimy rat. Uh, apparently, they interviewed... Uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Yeah. What's that guy's name? He was wearing a stupid red hat and looked like a total bozo. Uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, I forgot him. He used to be a fighter. Oh, God. What's his name, Sal? Uh, never fought anybody, uh, you know, in their prime. He always ran from people. Never never, never stood in there and, and pulled a Lara. He, he claims he's the best ever. What was his name again? Oh, Uncle God. Floyd? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Floyd. Floyd, that's right. Uncle well, Floyd May Floyd Mayweather um, was uh, being interviewed on uh, on Showtime the other night, and he says the only way that uh, he's gonna that he may come back in the ring, but it's gonna be in the MMA ring, and he wants to fight Conor McGregor, which if he fought under regular MMA rules, uh, I, I would love every. I would even buy it. Because there's no way Floyd would beat him. But Floyd would also, because he's such a petunia, uh, would never get in the ring anyway unless he altered all the rules. So uh, let's not even talk about that. Well, you know, but the I, funny I'd thing. I'd like to see how this plays out. I would like to see how this plays well, out. Well, I'll tell you how it's I not going to play out. Floyd a lot of credit. Yeah. If he steps in a ring against a worthy opponent in an MMA arena. Yeah. I will give him a lot of credit. Yeah. Well, don't don't start giving him any credit yet because in, unless he steps in an MMA ring under MMA rules, it means nothing. It's almost as 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 much of a farce as when he they the gutless spineless piece of garbage Bob Bennett let Conor McGregor make a pro debut against a 49 and 0 fighter. Let let's just be real. If you if people are stupid enough to really think that this is on the level then uh, I feel for you, okay? But uh, but here here's uh, they they were talking about it, and uh, Dana uh, White uh, says because uh, uh, you know uh, Espinosa was saying that you know blah 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 Floyd Mayweather you know fight this Dana White and then he was saying how they were uh, Espinosa was was criticizing the uh, uh, UFC card that was going on the UFC two two three post fight. Uh, a conference and and Steven Espinosa was actually uh, criticizing the matchups, and uh, Dana White says I don't want to give this guy any publicity because he loves it. But that greasy, slimy rat Steven Espinosa talking about how we break the rules and all this other sh you know with the t at the end. Oh my God! Just trying to uh, keep just trying. To be HBO, referring to Steven Espinosa, and don't don't worry about what the f we're doing, you slimy little rat. Dana White says he says, uh, uh, and and all this while Floyd saying that if the fight happens in an MMA ring, it's going to be on Showtime. And Dana White, as far as that said, that ain't happening. Uh, we're going to do it on HBO if it happens at all. But uh, kudos to Dana White. Uh, calling Steven Espinosa a greasy, slimy rat because you know what, Sal? I agree with him 100%. Wow. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how this plays out. Well, if you really think that um, that Floyd Mayweather would step in the ring under normal MMA rules, I, do you think that? I, you know, I, I, I don't think he can change the rules of MMA. I, I don't think we're going to have a new evolving uh, sport predicated on what 
Floyd Mayweather wants versus what is in place. So I think that if Floyd Mayweather is serious and he is going to throw his hat in the MMA arena, I think he's going to have to do so with the rules and the regulations as they are. Uh, I, I think they will be very careful in choosing his first opponent. And uh, uh, I don't think it'll be Conor McGregor. In fact, Conor McGregor's got more things to worry about right now. Uh, so I, I can't say that I agree with you as far as the rules are going to be altered to suit uh, Floyd Mayweather. I think he's going to have to go into the ring with the MMA rules in place and the laws and rules and regulations. And I, like I said, I'll give him credit. He's, he's going to uncharted waters, uncharted territory. And if he's willing to try and do something, hey, all I could say is uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, like to look at that fight and see what happens. Let me start off by saying this. Tell I me. agree with you about what is supposed to happen. And, and I would be the first to give him the kudos and credits, too. If he got into an MMA ring and and fought a couple of MMA fights and and did well and worked his way to Conor McGregor, I would I would be to be honest with you, I'd be his biggest fan because that would show me a lot about a man that I think um, is a smokescreen. All right, um, but that's not what's going to happen, Sal. And and you're 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 leaving reality. Your your point. <laughs> Is what should be happen. The first time. Your point is what should happen, and I'm I yeah. agree with you. That's what should uh, happen. Based, based but, on facts, and based that, on what should be. But that's not what would happen because Floyd doesn't do things like that. You see, Floyd Mayweather, and and he's no different than any other super superstar athlete that thinks they're above the rules and regulations. And that is Floyd Mayweather persona. That's a hundred percent what he thinks, and the money that would be generated to see Floyd Mayweather fight Conor McGregor in a cage would be astronomical. And that's what he's banking on, to be able to get rules twisted in his favor because of the amount of money that the fight would generate. I'll tell you right now that there's no way that Floyd Mayweather gets in a ring with Conor McGregor being allowed to use a ground game of any kind. And if that were the case, the only difference that you're going to see is that they're fighting in a cage versus a ring. Because if Floyd did fight under normal MMA rules like you suggested that he would, I, I, I would become Floyd's biggest fan. I really would. But that's not that that's not the he's not a man. He's a he's a con man. He's not a man. That's why he smacks women around and everything else. Nah, I, I tell you. I would become his biggest fan if he did it by the book, but I guarantee you he's, uh, he wouldn't. And, and uh, uh, so far, you know, maybe Conor McGregor gets kicked out of the UFC and they go fight under Bellator or something. I don't know. It doesn't have to be UFC. All Floyd cares about is that uh, he fights Conor for big bucks, $100 million, and that's what they're shooting for, Sal, the money. Well, I agree with you because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the big – Hoopla! I mean, they have a enough popularity uh, that they can generate that kind of uh, revenue and that kind of money for themselves in a big form of a purse. Uh, but I will tell you this: like I suggested, and pretty much you and I predicted the outcome of the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor far farce. Uh, 
uh, Floyd, I think, would be destroyed if it was all up in the up and uh, uh, with all the rules and regulations that uh, Conor McGregor is used to doing and fighting by. Uh, I would see the exact same thing happen on that different turf turf uh, in uh, in uh, Conor McGregor's world. Yeah, well, you know what? If if like I said, you know, I've always criticized Floyd for not doing things that great champions do, which you know, challenging himself, a la Sugar Ray Leonard coming out fighting Hagler, even Sugar Ray Robinson fighting Joey Maxim, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. John, uh, when you have uh, Roy Jones Jr. fighting John Ruiz and winning the heavyweight title, I mean, that's what great fighters do, right? Floyd has never done that, but. If Floyd did come out of retirement and fought in an MMA cage under MMA rules, that, my friends, win, lose, or draw, would be something that uh, I would respect the man for 100%. There's no question about that. And uh, I think that uh, many people would uh, would have to agree with that, don't you think? Oh, I think 100%. I mean, that's what I'm saying. This guy, you know, he'll challenge himself. And, you know, I, I give a different pass or different spin on, on, on Floyd aside you know like we we, we we have heard with the with the uh, outside of the ring kind of confrontations and fights I don't agree with but you know if I looked at Floyd early on in his career he was more in the pocket he was more in the, in the exchange he was more of an exciting fighter but you, you gotta I, I gotta empathize I gotta see where he was and, and you know during that time that's where a lot of fighters were becoming uh, their diagnosis and, and their after effects and ill effects after their sport of boxing became more prominent, more of a more of a talk about, you know, uh, what used to be called uh, punchy or pugilistic dementia has now become something that more fighters are becoming aware of. Some of them are throwing caution to the wind. They're still fighting, and, and they're doing what they can do because they're fighting with their heart, their spirit, their soul, like, like, like I did and everything else, and it, it, the prize is always worth the price. Well, what if Floyd, as the prize was always worth the price, re-looked re, re at everything and said, hey, when I'm older, I want to be able to play with my grandchildren. When I'm older, I want to do other things. So what I'm going to do is maybe stay a little less time in the pocket and just become a defensive fighter, being evasive, and hit and not be hit. You know, I, I'm just saying, I try to empathize and look at the situation on a macro view, not a micro view. And if I looked at Floyd, that was his decision to maybe uh, play tag. Hey, I hit you. You can't hit me. I give him all the credit in the world. That's it. Aside from his antics outside the ring. I don't agree with that. But if he was the kind of fighter that said, hey, I'm just going to hit my opponent and I'm going to slip and get out of the way. That's the name of the game for me because I want to have a long life and, and, and be able to uh, do things later on when I'm 80 years you old. Know, I, per, Maybe that. I, presented like that, Sal, you're right. But, but don't tell me you're the best ever. Because we, you know, the best ever doesn't do that, and 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 I'm not saying doesn't do that to try to preserve themselves. Uh, you know, a, a, the true definition of the sweet science is hit and not get hit, but be in position to inflict damage on your opponent. That's one thing that he was not able to do because, yeah, you just like you mentioned, hit his opponent, slips a punch, he's slipping because he's backpedaling to twenty feet away, fifteen feet away. You know, that's not the sweet science. The sweet science is being right there, having your opponent miss you, 
because they're in range and you're, you're avoiding the punch, you're hitting them and they can't hit you and you're both in range of hitting each other. That, my friend, is the sweet science. But I agree with you. I, I, I don't knock Floyd for choosing that style or being as successful financially as he was. What I knock him for is claiming that he's the best. That's not the best. He was never the best. In his mind, he may be the best of his generation. Yes, let's give him that. But he's not the best ever. There's no question that he's not the best ever. As a matter of fact, if I had to make my top all-time great top 25 right now, which I normally don't do until a fighter's out of the ring for five years, he's at number 24, 25. He's not, he's not in the top 10. He's not. He's just, he's not. And, and, you know, in this day and age of all these titles out, he only unified the titles, I think, once or twice. And I'm saying unified, not all of them, just fought for more than one. So, uh, so no, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't even accept when, when people mention that he's the best ever. It just irks me. It, it, it drives me insane. I'm surprised it doesn't bother you, man. Well, no, because like I said, I, I look at Floyd uh, from the standpoint in the prism that I just suggested. I mean, you know, those were one of the reasons why I chose to retire at 28 when I was on top of my game. I mean, you know, like I said, when I got the, I first got my ranking and the doctor said, hey, how old are you? I said, I'm 26. He said, well, I'm on the medical board of Muhammad Ali. Uh, and we, we, we are realizing now that uh, by the age of 28, maybe you should think about retiring if you want to grow old, spend time with grandchildren, conquer other quests and challenges, and maybe you'll be able to do that. Because what we're finding is after the age of 28, you know, your, your brain doesn't have the fluid it used to have in case to, to, to act as a cushion when your brain gets bounced off your skull. And that's where a lot of the damage occurred to Muhammad Ali after the age of 28. So, you know, hey. You know, I decided to look at my, my, my life a little differently. I realized it at that point. Uh, my father tapped my head on my – his finger on my shoulder. Hey, Sal, it's two years later. We're 28. You're 28. What do you want to do? And, you know, I looked at it and I said, well, you know what? Dad, I, I, I want to go on and I want to fight. But, you know, a fighter has to look at things differently. Could I become more of a defensive fighter, hit, run, move, and, and box? Yeah, maybe I could have. But I, I decided to take another route that time. Um, so Floyd may have assessed his himself right then and there. And I think, you know, if he did so, and that's the prism I'm looking at, I think he's a genius on that level. He's a marketing genius, and maybe maybe he's one of the best at that because he's had a fan base and he's had support and he's had an income revenue that uh, we really haven't seen in, in a lot of champions. Now, do I agree with you? Do I think he... He, 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 I don't think he could have gotten past a Tommy Hearns, a Sugar Ray Leonard, a Roberto Duran, I, I, uh, many other fighters. I think would have would have knocked him out or chewed him up and, and won. But, uh, you know, that's neither going to be a reality uh, that we're going to find out. Uh, but I do agree that, that uh, he definitely would not have fallen in the top five. Top five? No, I'm saying he would. I, I'm saying top five. What are you well, talking about? You 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 missed you uh, top five. Say, I gotta. Yeah, you know, come on. What, I, what is, uh, I can wrap out another five. Yeah, add another twenty to that. No, listen, listen, listen. Uh, in in Floyd's defense, uh, 
I the, give Floyd some defense. L- listen, I, 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 I give Floyd – everyone thinks I hate him. Well, I, I, I don't particularly care for, for the man, okay? But for, for, for what he was able to do in terms of money and everything, which I don't think should be consi- – that, that should not be taken in consideration about his all-time great statue. statue. Um, I, you know, I just don't think that because he made so much money that his status of an all-time great moves him up to number one. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't. But, but you know, unfortunately, we don't have a time machine. Uh, but I'm with you. You know, even the fighters in the era of the '80s, which you know we look at as the last great era. And and during the 80s, I laughed when people said, if somebody would have said that, I would have laughed because there were so many better errors prior to the 80s. But the 80s at least are a connection of the past and what we're in today, meaning that we had fighters that were polished in terms of boxing ability, and yet they were willing to put it all on the line like the, the sluggers of yesteryear did. And that's why it goes down as, as one of the greatest errors of, of the sport. Floyd Mayweather didn't go after other champions in their primes. Uh, Sugar Shane Mosley is a guy that comes to mind. He waited till Sugar was, uh, you know, melted uh, by the time he fought him. Um, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, for all intent and purposes, beat him. Uh, but his own corner let him down by telling him to take his foot off the gas. Uh, so, you know... I, Listen, Floyd is Floyd is Floyd. He's he was a good businessman. He just it irks me when people say he was the best ever because he wasn't. And the people that say he was the best ever never took the time to watch some of these greater fighters. And I'm with you 100. percent First of all, he wouldn't have even fought Hagler because he could have fought Triple G. You know, if he fought Triple G, and everyone says, "Oh, he's just a little guy." No, he's not. No, he's not. Triple G is is the same. I, I think Floyd would look bigger in the ring. But if he would have fought Triple G, even if he lost, I would have given him more credit. But he's never done that. He's never thought outside the box. See, everything has to be in his favor. The location, the ring size, the opponent. Everything is in his favor. You know, the one thing I always will give Floyd Mayweather credit for is he was always in great shape. He never let himself, even to this day, get out of shape. He doesn't, although he's a gambler and he pisses his money away on strippers and uh, and betting, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs, he's not pissing his money away like that. So he's smart when it comes to that sense. He buys all these stupid cars that, uh, I don't know why he's doing that, and he's playing the game with the IRS, which is also a dumb move. He, he, somebody said, oh, he does that because he saves money when they go to you know make a deal with him to take less. That is the most ridiculous, dumbest statement I've ever seen because one of these days they're not going to play that game. You know, I know. I, I, I had a battle with the IRS that they haunted me for a decade, man. Uh, they're the worst. You don't want, you don't want them uh, on you, you know. And this is probably why he's got to f- even consider fighting again. If you, you were right, here he does. He preserves himself for the style of his fighting. He's got more money than he could conceivably spend in the rest of his life. And yet he's still trying to, to get in the ring to make another $100 million. This guy is just addicted to the limelight. He can't let go. And, and you know what? It's, it's going to end badly for him. He's going to end up getting really hurt in the ring. And I mean that with all sincerity. Well, I, I, I certainly hope not. And uh, I'll tell you what. I think, you know, if you look at uh, from a business standpoint, Floyd 
understands the business of boxing and he has tried to preserve the longevity and and, uh, and sustain a level of, of uh, income or money that uh, is setting records. And so uh, from that standpoint, looking as a, at a businessman in the sport of boxing, he's maximized what he can do in one lifetime and one career. So I, I give him credit for that. You know, that's, that's all I could tell you. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the bottom line is, uh, you know, I, I just I, I can't believe that a lot of young fans today put Floyd when when they talk about Floyd, I always when they say to me, do you think Floyd's the best ever? I laugh at them and say, no, I said, do you? And they and a lot of the young fans will say, yes, I say, why? And they tell me two things. The answer is always two answers. First is he's undefeated, never been beaten. And two, he made the most money. How does that transcribe into being the best ever? The undefeated, eh, you got a point there. Not that it's 50. Uh, we Many, many fighters have surpassed 50-0 and 0, uh, before losing the first time. And guess what? If Floyd loses a fight, if he comes back because he needs money and he loses a fight, that whole 50-0 and 0 goes out the window just like Julio Cesar Chavez and all the rest that that uh, you know surpassed uh, 50 wins before losing for the first time. Um, no, no, it's 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 tough. Hey, you know, I think if you had to put, and I will be the first to admit this, if I if somebody said, "Hey, Bill, what what was the worst? Who do you dislike out of all the fighters that you've ever watched or even learned about? Who do you dislike the most?" Floyd Mayweather has to be the first guy that comes to mind, and I'll admit it. I, I, I don't like Floyd Mayweather the person, the fighter. I give him credit for. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of anybody uh, that I dislike. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I really can't. I can't. I, I, I like all fighters. I respect them. You know, I, I don't like when they do their antics outside the ring. They're illegal. No, I don't justify or, or rectify or. Or uh, uh, accept that. That's not right. But, uh, you know, when they live on the up and up, they're trying to make a living. They're scrapping, scraping, and, and maybe making a successful story. Yeah, I, 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 I credit that all the way. That's another thing that he always says. I came up from nothing. I came from the street. No, you didn't. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His father, although his father was, uh, um, you know, had some uh, abuse, uh, substance abuse issues, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Um, Floyd never did without. He never did without. Uh, eh. Anyway. All right. We had the uh, trivia question last week. And, uh, you know, I thought that all these uh, so-called knowledgeable people that keep telling me how smart they are um, in uh, in the different chat rooms and stuff, they were dying for uh, a trivia question. And, and I gave one. And it was pretty tough. I, I do admit, listen, I, I'm going to tell you guys this. If you're going to um, be, uh, you know, part of getting our trivia questions correct, be ready for hard ones because they, they, these aren't <laughs> they easy. Are hard. These aren't easy ones. And the idea that you can go and Google and everything else, you don't think we've thought of that? Come on, man. Come on, man. Now, oh, I've tried the, to Google. Yeah, of course everyone did, right? But here's the truth. Um we are going to give away, and I and I got a bunch of prizes already to start giving away, because um, we we did the trivia question every day for years and years and years, and I stopped for a little bit, uh, but it's back because 
I, you know, I, I'm I'm specifically. Uh, I think we got a whole new uh, group of uh, uh, knowledgeable uh, people in the sport. So, uh, and and specifically, you know, I, I got uh, his handle, Scholar of Boxing. Uh, you know, was bragging one time. I watched him in the chat room saying that he he thought he was the smartest boxing knowledge wise of all the other people in the chat. You know. And I laughed to myself, you know, because, uh, you know, everybody is an expert, you know. And uh, he wants to know the question. Hey, what's the question? What's the question? And I was like, okay, we're going to start doing the question. Well, I don't know uh, what his real name is, so I don't know if he, if he tried to answer this question correctly or not. But today I'm going to give a hint. So if you're the first one, and you have to email. If you're the first one to email us the correct answer, and you have to email Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N and then B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. If you're the first one to email us the correct answer, you're going to win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. This is the same game that Alex Perpali uses for our Blast from the Past segment. Um, the question is, name the fighter who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by a stoppage, okay? Um, it doesn't mean his first loss. Uh, it uh, means first stoppage. Now, um, uh, I've gotten a lot of answers, so I'm going to give you guys some hints right now. It was not Julio Cesar Chavez. It was not... Um, uh, who else did they put in there? Um, some people, I think Sugar Ray Robinson was an answer. That was wrong. Uh, who was the young, who was that flyweight um, champion from England that coach is always telling me? I, I can't think of his name. Uh, Wild, Jimmy Wild. That wasn't him. Um, you know, I, my, my hint is that this guy was never a world champion he was never a world champion so if you're the first one to guess this answer correctly by emailing me billy at talking boxing t-a-l-k-i-n-b-o-x-i-n-g dot com you'll win the prize um we go by the timestamp. so if somebody if we get more than one correct answer we're going with the first one that came in so i'll do the question one more time Name the boxer who fought the most fights from the start of his career before being defeated by way of stoppage. If you're the first one to answer this correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com, you'll win the prize. Good luck to everyone on that. I know it's a tough one, but we got more. So uh, you want to challenge your knowledge, this is the way to do it. Who was the first? Uh, uh, name the boxer who fought the most fights uh, before being stopped for the first time in his career. If we don't get a winner, I'll give you another hint tomorrow. But uh, this guy was never a world champion, by the way. Coach is wow. going to get it now. You watch. A coach is going to get it. Yeah, he'll, yeah, get, yeah. he'll get it. Uh, because uh, and, and you know what? I want to give another shout-out to everyone that tried. And um, uh, they're asking me, does this include amateur fights? No, this is only as a pro. But, but I, I also want to point out something. You know, what, what I really appreciate, and maybe I'm wrong, but the way it looked to me was that the, all the people that answered this question, and we had a lot of them, genuinely looked like they were just using from their own knowledge base, their own mind, because 
the reason why I think that is because a lot of the names were the same. A lot of the fighters that they were choosing were the same. If somebody was, you know, trying to get it a different way, um, Siri, who fought the most fights before, you know, trying to do something like that? Um, they, they probably would. But, uh, but I appreciate everyone that tried and got it wrong, uh, but try again. And like I said, don't assume somebody got it. Um, so uh, just uh, first one gets the prize. On this day, April 9th in boxing history, in 1988, Evander Holyfield knocks out Carlos de Leon in the eighth round to win the WBC World Cruiserweight title, uh, and he uh, unified the cruiserweight division uh, in uh, uh, Las Vegas on this day in 1988. Um, on this day in 1981, Samuel Serena wins a 15-round decision over Yasuni Ubarra uh, to regain the WBA junior lightweight title, and that took place in Japan. On this day in 1984, Gabrielle Burnell knocks out Koji Kobayashi in the second round to win the WBC flyweight title, and that took place in Tokyo. On this day in 1928, Corporal Izzy Schwartz wins a 15-round decision over Routier Para to retain his world flyweight title uh, at the uh, St. Nick's Arena in New York City. Popular venue wow. uh, for fights, wow. St. Nick's Arena. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, on this day, April 9th, in 1935, uh, one of, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the uh, best uh, fighters of all time, Bonnie Ross, wins a 12 round decision over Henry Woods uh, to retain his world junior welterweight title uh, in Seattle, Washington. Um, Bonnie Ross would vacate his title. So he could channel, channel, ugh, challenge Jimmy McLarnon for the world welterweight title uh, in his next fight, which Ross won via a 15-round decision on May 28th in 1935 at the Polo Grounds in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Bonnie Ross was a great fighter. He really oh, was. Yeah. And, a, and a World War II hero, by the way. Yes, he um, was. But anyway, hey, listen, boys and girls. Uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.